Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. This audio program has been carefully packed to the legal limit with a weekly allowance of non-governmentally approved deep thoughts per square minute of podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Judah and Noah. Here we are. Part two of... Part two of the previous one. Part two of the previous one. We're going dis- to continue to discuss nourishing, nourishing the, the, the soul of a child. Yes. And uh, so soul is one of the, mm. the concepts here that we need to kind of zero in on. And there's one thing that you said that I, I thought was really wonderful and helpful that has to do with the relation of the thinking, feeling, the heart, mind, soul part. Mm-hmm. In relation to what is called the etheric. Right. Right? And right. so how our health can be largely determined by the thought feelings that we have about the phenomena undergoing. And I think the the example you use has to do with attitude towards food, that mm-hmm. one person would have this association with food that's just inherently nourishing, that they're just their experiences with it have been positive and so they're looking forward to the meal and their digestive juices are ready to go and the whole thing is just happiness you know <laughs> and in the other case you may have people who've had in a variety of ways negative experiences with food and so when there's a meal coming up there may be worry there may be various forms of anxiety <laughs> so that will really impact the degree to which that that food can be nourishing. Right, that's going to put them in a stress situation, a stress response, and right. that's going to diminish uh, gastric secretions, uh, digestive juices, it's going to slow gut motility. So it imp- so it puts one in a sympathetic nervous system state, which is not conducive to digestion. And so in a way, what we're seeing there is the cyclical imprint of the patterns experience kind of the 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 mirroring that right. occurs and then the imaginative structures that occur around those mm-hmm. taking on a kind of solid form within the soul body mm-hmm. and impacting the relationship with experience happening uh, from thence on right right so to understand the soul body and, and the etheric I, I guess what I should lay out is that the I, I speak of of a, a fourfold human being. And the first fold or the first sheath would be the physical body, which is made of the earth. It's it's mineralic. It's it's you know, from dust we came, from dust to dust we'll go, right? So the the physical body in and of itself is of the physical realm and its trajectory is death and decay. So it requires an enlivening force. And that enlivening force is the life body, which we've done, uh, that was our second topic for, for this show, was the life force, right? The life body. And that in the human organism can be found in the glandular secretions. They are what bring life into the body. Or they're the, they're the secretions that when we have thoughts, when we have a digestion happening, it's glandular secretions. It's, it's, it's secretions that provide the the life forces that are, you know, so when we eat, we stimulate secretions, which bring us life force, right? Mm -hmm. And when we think, if we can control our thinking and feeling life, meaning that we don't swing, 
you know, highs and lows and extremes, but the more calm and balanced and centered and equal we become in our emotional life or in our thought life, then that's that's easier on our secretions. They don't have to, our glands don't have to work so hard putting right. putting secretions out, right? So then there is the, the life of the soul, and the soul is our thoughts, our feelings, and our will impulses, our drives, desires, passions, our instincts, right? And so the way you can look at this is that the soul wears the body like a jacket so that it has access to the external world through our sense perceptive organs, our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth, the skin, which is fully innervated. So the soul puts the physical body on like a jacket so that it can take in the external world through sense stimuli. Mm -hmm. And that as sense stimuli streams in, it engages the nervous system and it goes to the brain for processing. But there's this critical point with taking with taking in that information is our perception of that information. Mm -hmm. And the way we perceive that information that's coming to us via our nervous system, that's going to determine the glandular secretions that happen afterwards. To some extent. To some extent, exactly. So the glandular... You have kind of an autonomic process that's somewhat independent of that. You know, there's basic like patterns underlying the biology that will be influenced to a large extent by how the soul body interprets. And this is the point of where I was going with with digestion there is that, you know, when you take that that stimuli in of meal and the perception is joy, then the glandular secretions are adequate for digestion. Right. If the perception is fear then the glandular secretions associated with fear are inadequate right. for digestion, right? I, so, yeah, I, that, that I, can, uh, I can attest to that that is absolutely 100% true. <laughs> so that's the life of the soul that I'm, I'm talking about. So when we're talking about nourishing the soul of the child, we're talking about how to nourish the thoughts, the feelings, the will impulses of the child. Yeah, but in some some. Okay, so you know I have some problems with this model. Right? Yeah, I do. But yeah. that's not to say that I don't think there's a lot of value in it and that there aren't profound things that come from it. And so I think that this is one really helpful way of looking at things. But I also feel like there's uh, a fundamental problem with the model. Mm. And um, I'd like to get to that. But when you're talking about soul here, in some respects, you're talking about like ego, right? No. Well, okay, I mean, I guess in some respects, yeah, the, little de- ego, yeah, little the little ego. the little ego. So now ego, we have yes. to get into a whole bunch of word definition yeah, shit, which yeah. drives me nuts. But okay, here we go, right? <laughs> yes. So when most people talk about ego, for instance, right. they're talking about the individual ego. I they're think talking about a, 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 you know, technically, I think Freud thought of the ego as a mediator between the id and the superego. So it's basically like this, this individual structure that's trying to navigate the the tension between its internal drives and the demands placed upon it by the external environment. Mm. Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So it's a very like, it's very much about self-preservation. Right. It's, and it's wrapped up in the thoughts and the feelings. Right. In identity. It's wrapped up in identity. And identity. In identity. Exactly. Right? So all of that is one package. Yeah. But if it I, thinks it's this body. Right. Exactly. Yep. Or the variety of other identifi- identifiers yeah, that it, it might apply it's to the itself. Thoughts, right? It yeah. thinks it's the thoughts. It thinks it's the feelings. It thinks it's. It thinks the it's body. a group identity, perhaps. Right, right. When that's actually not what it is at. When that's not what we are at all. Right. right? But We're, then that question of what we are, right, is something that gets beyond right. 
this soul thing well, and moves more towards the I. The I, exactly. Or we could so, say capital E, ego. I know, that's what I hate. So I, don't, I don't like that one. I like the I. I okay. like the I because all of us, only I can say I, right? So it's the universal I. Yes. So there's only one no, I think one that's eye. beautiful. And it's, of course, a seeing eye. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I think that's a beautiful way of delineating the difference between the spiritual being and the kind of individual consciousness. Right. And so, yeah. so that I that we're speaking to in, in, in this particular tradition, in, in, in this Steinerian tradition, in the Western esoteric tradition, you know, everything physical is a carrier of something spiritual. So, so the physical body contains the soul and the spirit in it and to some degree, right? Because it's not the spirit can't be separate from the body. It has to be anchored in the physical body because that's how it's, that's the experience it's having right now. Well, this is, this gets so, to the key of the, you have something else you need yeah, to say? Yeah, I just want to, because let me just tie this knot. And that is that in, in this path, the eyes home in the body is in the blood. And so if we look, when we eat and we break the food down into its individual nutrients, those nutrients go into the blood to be delivered to all the cells and tissues of the body. But it's also going into the blood to give the eye a taste of what its experience is in the physical realm. Just as with breath, streams right into the lungs, straight into the blood, and provides the eye that experience as to, well. To, to me, that makes almost no sense whatsoever. Oh, my God. <laughs> because, because the eye is a spiritual, is like the spiritual center. It's, it's the spiritual center. But it's having a physical experience. Are it's you sure? In, it's, in a, it's in a body having a physical experience. Well, but I mean, the spiritual tradi- traditions say that it, it is... Uh, unconcerned with the happenings in the material realm, but it's that's anchored, basically the lesson right. that Arjuna is given, right? That's that's what Krishna tells Arjuna and says, "Don't worry about the fate of other beings, right? Because they all that's, return to him. Because the uh, it's an um, imp- imperishable. I'm going to say yes. I, but of course yeah. the word translated usually is soul, which confuses yeah. everything. But yeah, yeah, it's the unperishable unity of being." Yep. Right, and from that point of view, it has no attachment to any particular body. It doesn't have it, an attachment to it, meaning that it, you know, it's it's. it's we don't freaking know, like whether it wants to experience it or not. Right, right. We could say that you know that it's a root of being, mm. and its isness has no particular qualities that we can necessarily discern, but by relinquishing our sense of ego individuality, mm-hmm. we can subsume ourselves into it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think we have any sense of what it wants, you know, and whether or not it's interested in the experience happening in our body. Maybe. Right. But I don't know. You know, the whole idea that like in the blood and all that kind of stuff, it's like, you know, there's some interesting poetic resonances in that, right? Like I think of well, the the wine and the wafer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being passed. Yeah. To, and it's interesting that it's a corpus, right? So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you have the, the body of the church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the, the body itself being the, the movement of the blood. and feet. But what's really going on there is that the cells are being fed. Yes. So the idea that the body consists of mineral, which is generally considered to be inert, 
right? Mm -hmm. Unconscious being. I can't, I can't buy that. To me, it's all what you said. <laughs> it's repeating self-organizing systems yes. with emphasis on self, right? So it's basically nothing but consciousness, yeah. right? And it the is body all... is basically a collection of consciousness that's being managed by, you know, so there's many layers of these networks of consciousness. Yes. That's how I see the whole freaking mm -hmm. arrangement. My my favorite way to describe all of this is there's one creator, creation, teacher within. One creator, creation, creation teacher, teacher within. within. Right? So that, okay. that one thing, that one creator created all of creation and is instilled into the very core of our being. It's mm -hmm. the, the teacher within. Right? And... Um, uh, Thy will be done, right? It, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Steiner has one where he says, uh, may we perform your will as it's laid down in our innermost being. Right. And so it's, it's all of this that we're talking about is, in, is built into the essence of who we are. But where, of course, the innermost being is the I. Is the I. Not the ego. Or the self, which is in the heart. Okay, wait. So, the what smallest, does self mean smallest, in this case? This, because this, I would say the I. I would say it's like the I. The self is the I. Okay, the innermost being. Yeah, I guess that that fits with the Vedic way of looking at it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, Which the I, innermost being is this spiritual unity, mm -hmm. in essence, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, when Steiner says, uh, you know. Thy will be done, right? Uh, uh, in the innermost. Yeah. May your will. May we perform your will as it's laid down in our innermost being. Yes. So the question is, what are we considering to be our innermost being? Mm -hmm. If you're placing it in the soul, where it has to do with your own intention, right? Right. That's, that's tricky. That's. And I think that Steiner, in some respects, because he he made so many claims, there's a fair amount of soul activity in his work. Yes, there is. But I would say that the self is not in the soul because the soul is bound to the senses. I agree. Right? So yep. we have to withdraw the senses. Yes. We withdraw from the senses and we go inward. And therein we find the self. Right. And, but therein we also find the relinquishing of our sense of what should happen. Right. Right. And that's a tricky so, word, should, right? Yes. What should happen, air quotes, right. should. Should is, uh, is an artifact of the soul. Yeah. Right? It's our thinking feeling right. that makes us want particular outcomes. Yes. And it's so expectation. The, right. And so the I would be something that is um, accepting and not trying to um, force. Exactly things to go its way. The I is what is. That's why the Buddhists say isness. Isness. <laughs> I don't know how they actually say it because they didn't speak English, but that's how they, that's how <laughs> that's they like translate it. That's like their definition, their translation, it translates into isness. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, so then we need to talk about uh, the etheric aspect of it because that's kind of like your interface between soul uh, and physical, body. physical yeah, right? Exactly. And I have trouble with that as well because I, I, it's not an integrated way of looking at 
all phenomena. It's like, oh, there's this stuff that's inert, that's just mineral, that like tends towards death and decay. It's like, well, on a certain level, uh, not so much as the other parts, because the physical mineral, right, is a molecule or atom, and it's going to continue to be that even when the body is uh, disenlivened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But what we can do is we, I mean, but if you look at this, so let's look at a, a rock or a stone, uh, right? So it doesn't have a growth force to it, right? It doesn't well, have- Well, some people would say that's not true, right? Uh, it depends on, uh, I mean, I know that like over geological time, geologists will speak about rock formations as if they were sort of growing things. I but mean, they don't reproduce, there's not well, reproduction. Some rock, not. some rock is formed by dying beings, mm, mm. and so you could say that really, you know. Uh, but it does, a, but that's a not lot a, of a, That's not a. That's not an inner force, an, an inner driving force of it. Meaning that, like, if you leap from rock world, <laughs> the mineralic world, into the plant world, where you see actual growth forces, you see. Uh, forces that bring something sprouting to life and growing and well, also dying and decaying at the same hair? time. So, so is hair growing? Mm. Right? Yeah. Now, supposedly, once it's out here, it's, it's quote, dead, yes. right? But the forces that cause it to continue to be generated are coming uh, out. Of li- or, the, which right? are it's, life forces. Right. Yes. So... But, so it, it's similar to rock in that sense, no, right? No, because in a rock, you don't see growth and flourishing and withering decay in simultaneity. Oh, well, you do. because no, you don't. Yes, you do. There's you constant see, erosion. I mean, if you the, see erosion rock- Erosion is look, different than death and decay, though. You're, I think maybe perhaps there's the confusion. Death and decay is the loss of a life force, whereas erosion is just the dissolution of-, of, of um, Well, you could say that- It's that, physical structure. That, Anything that's exposed to uh, a, a hostile environment. So like oxygen is an oxidizer and it causes you know, there to be a, a chemical reaction that tends to rob electrons. And so then you get like a surface that gets marred by it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's part of the process that causes skin to slough off and that sort of thing, right? So um, – you know, part of the process of decay is the environment that it's under uh, under stress from, right? Mm-hmm. But you could think of the Earth in general as being a gigantic organism that has, you know, rocks moving and forming and churning in the same way that we have fingernails. You know, like uh, there's they're coming out and little bits get chipped off here and there because you're doing stuff. You know, and uh, there are other things that might come along and clip them a little more neatly, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of what human beings are doing with the rocks, you know? And then um, uh, it's being regenerated from a variety of other living or, uh, parts, right, that go into the rock formation. And that's a lot what's happening with rock, you know? A lot of rock were uh, from the uh, mineral deposits of sea organisms, mm, you know, shells mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Right? It gets all ground right. up and eventually- Limestone. Limestone, exactly. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. So, and who's to say whether, you know, previous yugas provide the raw material <laughs> for many of the other rock formations too. Right, right. 
So I think it's an analogous type of, of process. And from my point of view, there's a neater way of structuring it where there's a uniformity at all levels of scale, mm. where you're basically talking about uh, relate, network relations of conscious entities. Degrees of freedom are kind of what really is being talked about when you're talking about life, mm. right? So you can say that there's consciousness existing throughout, but there are conscious beings that are really locked into very particular operations, like atoms and molecules mm -hmm. and particles even more so, mm. right? But mm -hmm. then when you get mm -hmm. to like a cell, it has a little bit of freedom, but not a heck of a lot. You know, one cell- It has a duty. It has a duty. Mm -hmm. It has a, a range of operations that it's going to, you know, perform more or less well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To the best um, of its ability. To the best of its ability, the, given the, its environment. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and its environment is the organ it's in yep. or, the, or the membrane or whatever it is. And then the environment of that exactly. is the totality of the body. Which right? is determined. Which is essentially... Uh, enervated with the soul consciousness. Right, which is so, determined by our thoughts, our feelings, and what we put in our, our, our mouth. and Thoughts, feelings, and decisions, because mm -hmm. what we put in our mouth is an action. Exactly. In essence, right? Exactly, yeah. So I like that model. I can work with that. I mean, the differentiation between the I and the soul mm -hmm. is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And I like mm -hmm. that terminology, too, because the soul feels like one, limited, like the sole survivor, right, right? Right. Whereas the I, even though it denotes one, it's denoting a unity one. Yes. You know? Right. So there's some great, beautiful, that there, there's where your poetic truth comes in, right? <laughs> you have but, to listen to the talk, really, to hear the- Which talk? The, the one we're talking about. Oh, the talk we're talking about? <laughs> I did listen to it. That's why I'm talking no, about I know. It. I'm telling all the oh, audience to listen to it. I'm telling, telling the listeners. You well, have hopefully to go listen. they did, because hopefully this is- <laughs> This is a. This is a. I mean, our devoted listeners are sequentially moving in a yeah. in an orderly fashion through Hopefully. because we have this whole thing planned out. Everything yeah. is going to be like sequentially revealed as we go through, yeah. right? right? Didn't we have that meeting where we started? I think to we figure did. out exactly what we we're going to do all the way along the way and plan it out so that everything was like a gigantic epic poem. <laughs> so one of the things. So coming around to that, one of the things I like to say about the eye is that the more the more individualized we come meaning become meaning the the more we strip away anything that could potentially be a block between connecting to another individual like anything i have an identity in my religion my race my color my my you know my affiliations anything i say i am this and i am that and i am this and i am that any of those as we start to strip those away and we get more and more to the core of our onion you know we start peeling the layers away and we get to the core of who we are as a true individual the more universal we actually become hmm. so the more individualized we become in the eye the more universal we become yeah i remember you saying that in the talk mm -hmm. the talk that we're talking about <laughs> Uh, I think that there's, there's, oh, there, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. There's some truth to that, but there's also a, a way in which individuality causes disruptions to the cyclical rhythms. Because, mm -hmm. you know, now, ideally, when we tune into that deepest I, 
we subsume the soul and move with the Tao. Right. So that we're basically part of the overall pattern of life. When we tune into the eye, we withdraw from the senses. Yes. And so then the question about now getting back to that, so then why would the eye want to experience the senses and the blood? You know, if, if what we're really doing is honoring God, mm. which is, you know, that the unified consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and what we're doing by doing that is relieving ourselves of the torment of our senses, right? And the, the, the appreciation is shown through the experience had in so doing, mm-hmm. right? Um, Strangely enough, it's through the senses that we get there too, right? That's right. We use the senses <laughs> to disable the senses, exactly. just like we use the mind to disable the mind. Exactly. Because you know, they are yeah. essentially the same thing. You said something else here that's all great. Uh, all senses are the source of food, right? Yeah. But you also said that uh, touch is the archetype of the oh, senses. yeah. You know, which is a really, really interesting phrase. Yeah, the touch um, is the archetype of all the senses because everything touches in, right? So when you're looking at something, it's it's light waves that touch in on rods and cones, right? And and, and Well, now if we're going to be technical about that. So, well, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> hold on there, Mr. Analytical. So, <laughs> so but... Aromatic molecules touch in on... Can't argue with that one. Right? Taste, <laughs> taste touch in on taste buds, right? Uh-huh. So sound, pressure waves touch in on fil- hair filaments in the ears and, yeah. the, t- and the tympanic membrane, right? Mm-hmm. So, so touch is the archetype of all the senses. Everything touches in right. to stimulate. So the thing that's really interesting to contemplate is that if you're going to retreat from the senses in appreciation of the eye... Mm-hmm. Then in essence, what you're doing is your uh, – what's the right word? I want to use the right word here, damn it. Uh, <laughs> Allow it to come. You're relinquishing the touch. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the discipline of it is that whatever it is that I'm going to experience, it is not going to touch me in relation to the eye. To disturb my connection to the eye. Right. Yeah. And so even like the difficulty, of course, is in the various perturbations that come in, the things which distract us. Mm -hmm. But even if we're still thinking about it, we're not quite there. Right. Right. (laughs) The goal is uh, imperturbability. Yeah. To forget that you exist in a body. Right. In essence. Yeah. And to realize that this is not you. Right. And that gets back to, you know, Arjuna's discussion with Krishna. Yeah. Right. Where Krishna says, they're all you. They're all me. They, all of, you know, they will, when you kill your cousins, they will come back to me. They right. Will, right. <laughs> because they came forth from me. They will return to me. Right. right? So there is no death. There is no birth. Now, it's of course, all, you know, some people will say, and I just have to, Mention this because I'm the guy who's constantly uh, turning over the apple cart here. <laughs> so some people will say, well, that's just a mechanism of, of military training. It's like a, an entrainment kind of mm. hypnosis mm-hmm. that's being transmitted through these ancient <laughs> stories as a way of um, 
kind of tempering the soldier for the kinds of horrible deeds they're going to have to do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you can certainly make that case. I think that that's not an unreasonable way of looking at it. But like most things, I, I certainly don't think that that's the whole story. Well, there's, yeah, go a, ahead. there's a moment where, where Krishna reveals his cosmic form to Arjuna. Yes, yes. Right. And it's, it, it's you know, beyond, too much. It's, yeah, beyond anything anyone could ever possibly, you what know. The confusion of mouths and of eyes oh, and yeah. just like. The, all the universes within him, like unending galaxies yeah. within him. It's just, it's. You got to read it. It's the most beautiful description of anything I've ever read. Oh, the whole Bhagavad is incredible. Yeah, you know, and if you don't want to read it, you can go on YouTube and just type in Bhagavad Gita, and there's there is like a two and a half hour reading of yeah, it. Yeah, well, and it's really well. The guy reads it really well. Some of the music that, gets too loud at some points, but Bhagavad Gita as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a really good reading too. Yeah, and so you, you know you can listen to it, and it's really great to listen to because it is. Uh, it's I mean, that's the only way I can do long form stuff. Like, is anyone reading the Mahabharata? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first volume of, of the translation I'm reading is 820 pages, and the second one is 650 pages. And this, the the only fully translated. Uh, version um, was done in the late 1800s. Wow. And it's, it's, um, it's thousands of pages. Maybe I'll read it when so, I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be absorbed into it. You won't have to worry about it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> At least I'll have read it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So read the Bhagavad Gita or I mean, or at least listen to it and, and listen to when Krishna reveals his cosmic form to Arjuna and it's. <sighs> and Arjuna's like enough, put yourself yeah. back together for yeah. me, <laughs> you know, please return to your regular form. I can't bear I can't, this. I can't handle yeah. it. I can't handle it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. I mean, Krishna and uh, I'm just I'm enamored with with the being of Krishna from, mm. from reading the Mahabharata and and I look forward to reading the Bhagata the Bhagata Parva I think is what it is Bhagata Parva, but it's a uh, it's the whole story of Krishna's life. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So is that the third of That's the great the third epics? of the great epics? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So you have the war in the middle. Yeah. And the first, and one, the third one is kind of like a reflection. They go back and they talk about the life of Krishna before the the Mahabharata. Huh? Yeah. So you get to hear about his childhood and and so on and so forth. So it kind of brings you up to speed. Huh? Yeah. And, I mean, the Mahabharata was was quote written. I mean, it was an oral tradition before it was ever written down by a, a Vyasa who is, uh, or Vyas. I, you know, it's interesting. There's A's at the end of a lot of letters and they're silent or a lot of words and they're silent, huh. but I don't know which, but, you know, uh, so it might be Vyas is his name. It's spelled Vyasa. Huh. Um, and so he is actually a character throughout the entire Mahabharata. He's the grandfather. He's one of the grandfathers, I believe, of of the uh, Pandavas. Huh. And um, and he's a sage, hmm. and so he goes and eventually writes the Mahabharata. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So he uh, lives through the whole this whole period. Yes. And it's interesting that you have this oral tradition that eventually becomes written. It seems like that 
you know, you, you have to wonder what happens in a civilization where at some point they decide, uh, we got to write this down. You know, after having probably a pretty long history of oral tradition. Yes. And, uh, and yet at some point there is a, a need to place things in writing. And, Even, yeah. you know, the, the written word is just so different from the spoken word. Right. And uh, there's an interesting book called The Alphabet Versus the Goddess – Ooh. That's uh, written by, um, I think he was a surgeon, and his name is Leonard Schlein. Uh, the basic premise is that the formation of written language coincided with the transition from matriarchally structured or civilizations to patriarchal. Mm. And that um, it, it really was kind of more warfare-oriented societies that started writing shit down. Because mm. you start losing the uh, mental capacity for memorization. But it also may just be simply the, the process of, you know, as human populations got larger and larger and came into increased and protracted mm. conflict with each other, mm. there was more disturbance and therefore more difficulty in having time to memorize right. and maintain tradition. Yeah. So you need to have the shit written down just because it was chaotic and you never knew when your people were going to come in and try and cut your head off. Right, and, and then you lose the, the tradition. And you lose the tradition. Right. Mm. You know? And there are many stories of civilizations where you know, they're trying to preserve their traditions under attack. You know, so the sacred texts and the sacred objects get collected and ferreted away somewhere or you know, sometimes they're stolen and then the, the culture goes into crisis. You right. know? There's that part of the Bible where they're talking about the, the kings of Babylon having taken the, uh, the objects of the, of the Hebrew temple. Mm. Right. And mm -hmm. using them to drink out of mm -hmm. and basically, bla mm -hmm. you know, committing disrespectful acts. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and thereby uh, incurring the wrath of God. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is this one of those moments or is it just a musical interlude? I think it's a moment. It's a moment. <laughs> it's a moment. <laughs> We covered it all yet, <laughs> but that was yeah. You know, despite everything we're saying here, you really should just listen to it because. Well, if you didn't listen to it, none of this would make sense. Why would, would you be listening to this? This is true. Yeah, go yeah. back and go listen back to it. And if listen you didn't to listen it. To it. I mean, yeah. we should have said this from the beginning. That's true. If you but, made it through these two <laughs> episodes and then got to the end of it and realized you didn't listen to the thing we were talking about, go check it out. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Either that or you're a really dedicated fan. <laughs> that I seriously doubt. Well, there's definitely some dedicated That's fans true. out there. Okay. All right. Always a pleasure. Always. We'll catch you next time. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, throw us a bone by subscribing to this channel, visiting our social media pages, and hitting the various like, love, and clap buttons. We welcome all comments, criticisms, and random thoughts. Our email is silentassembly at protonmail.com. And if you want to be an angel, 
we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash silentassembly. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home. <laughs>